Welcome to HEQ&A, the podcast of History of Education Quarterly. I'm your host, HEQ co-editor Jack Schneider. Every few weeks, we'll dive into recent work from the journal, asking authors how their projects challenge or extend what we know about a topic, exploring what's interesting and surprising about it, and then taking a step back to consider broader implications. In the second half of the show, we turn our sights to teaching, so if you're an educator, make sure to stick around until the end. And now, let's hear from one of our authors. Hi, I'm Harry Smaller, a retired associate professor of education at York University in Toronto. And before that, many years teaching in elementary, secondary, and alternative schools in inner city Toronto. And I'm the author of January 1993, the founding of Education International. My article delves into the history of two competing international teachers union networks, each founded and very much steered by one of the two American teacher unions, the National Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers. My basic argument is that these two networks worked assiduously throughout the Cold War and each in their own way, to promote Western values among teacher unions across a considerable part of the world. Officials in both networks organized and ran conferences and workshops for teachers and schooling officials across the globe. In addition, they assisted in the development and support of teacher unions in the global South, which would share their views and contriving on occasion to undermine those which did not. I do think that my article does extend what has been written about teacher unions generally over the years. There has certainly been studies undertaken of the role which the two US-based teacher unions have played in international politics, but few which examine these two international networks in that context, and particularly the roles which each played in promoting American interests abroad. I think that these findings do suggest broader implications both for historians and for teacher union activists. Teachers unions in the US and those in the global North more generally have continued in the post Cold War era to the present day to play a strong role in international affairs. To be sure, many of these activities seem benign enough on the surface. For example, providing professional development teachers in the global South or assistance with forming or strengthening their unions. However, the question remains, to what extent have these projects been driven simply by solidarity-based motivations on the part of these Northern providers? Or have they continued, and to this day, also to exist to promote Western social, political, cultural, economic values for teachers and their organizations in the South, as well as for their respective students? In my paper, I do suggest a couple of researchers who have delved into these more contemporary themes. However, I would certainly suggest there is much more to explore. The second half of the show is dedicated to thinking about teaching. We ask authors to put on their guest lecturer hats and take students into the weeds. What should they pay attention to, methodologically speaking? What else should they be reading if they want to take a deep dive into the historiography? And where are their opportunities for further research? Historical methodology. My research has been quite conventional and based on what I believe is the importance of going to primary sources for data. Over the past two decades, I have focused on print material located in a number of archives, both public institutions, as well as those archives maintained by existing teacher unions. 
In addition to those located relatively close to home, it also involved travel to a number of other countries, in particular to examine documents, letters, papers, publications produced by the two Cold War networks, as well as related material produced by national and regional unions. Virtually all these archives, I think, are fertile indeed, and I never failed to uncover rich material, which assisted me in formulating my descriptions and my arguments. Spending time in these various locales also afforded me the opportunity to meet with and interview both active and retired teacher union officials and activists, including a number of former officials from the two Cold War networks. Like other historians, my exploration of teacher union history was certainly supplemented by drawing on studies undertaken by other scholars, as well as exploring relevant articles and back issues of newspapers and magazines. For activists and students and scholars interested in reading more in these matters, there's certainly a widespread of studies available, many of which are referenced in, in my article. For starters, the classic studies by Marjorie Murphy and Wayne Urban are foundational in the field. More recent studies examine the relation between teacher unions and their respective national governments, as well as the role of US-based unions active on the international scene, include those undertaken by, for example, Maria Elena Cook, Ken Skypes, Anthony Carew, and Weber Urban, among others, all of whom are referenced in my article. For those who might be interested in undertaking research in the field of international teacher unions and international teacher union networks, I would definitely say that there are many, many avenues available for further exploration. For example, during the Cold War era, there were not just the two which I focused on, but actually at least five such networks. Unfortunately, the three others, two centered in Europe and one in Latin America, have to date had little, relatively little research undertaken of their histories. Hopefully this lacuna might be addressed sooner than later. One network in particular, FISE, based on a socialist perspective, was also highly active politically throughout the Cold War, encountering the work of the Western networks. It remains active today and claims a continuing large membership, mainly in the Global South. Another avenue of research could focus on the first 30 years of educational international existence up to the present day, and particularly the ways in which it has developed institutionally. For example, while it boasts a large membership of unions located in 178 countries and territories, a number of countries do not appear in this group. What are the reasons for this? To what extent does this suggest a continuing orientation to the global north, in spite of their efforts to bring, quote, together organizations of teachers and other education employees from around the world, unquote. Also along these lines, where two or more teacher unions compete for members in one country and all request membership in Education International, what standards are applied in determining which or how many associations may be eligible for entry? What might these standards tell us about the underlying values and political dispositions of the network? For example, the teacher union situation in Mexico over the past half century, I think provides a very unique and ongoing opportunity for research, also in relation to exploring Education International's modus operandi. There, the official EI member, the highly bureaucratic SNTE, has been the subject of much criticism over decades for purported actions such as colluding with the government on its measures to cut back on educational expenditures, laying off teachers, etc., if that can be believed. Eh? In addition, 
ironically, its longtime president, who uh, ruled over the organization with an iron fist, has more recently been convicted and jailed for corruption. However, as compared to the SNTE, there is also in Mexico a very active and quite large countervailing teachers union, the CNTU. It is very grassroots-based and focused on working with communities and parents, as well as teachers, particularly in the southern part of the country, to counter the federal government's slashing of public schooling. Given this anti-government modus, activist teachers belonging to the CNT have uh, suffered much repression over the years at the hands of state police for their actions, including killings, beatings, and imprisonment. To the extent that even EI has had to comment on these conditions in a number of their reports online. Interestingly, however, and for whatever reasons, this EI reporting did not include any mention of the dissident union to which these teachers belonged, and which was the main impetus for organizing this resistance in the country. All this to say, international teacher union networks continue to provide an important historical terrain for scholars, students, and education activists to consider exploring further. To learn more, check out History of Education Quarterly Online. The journal is published by Cambridge University Press, and it's carried by most academic libraries. You should also be sure to follow HEQ's Twitter handle, at HistEdQuarterly, which regularly sends out free, read-only versions of articles, and the show's Twitter handle, at HEQ&A. And don't forget, subscribe to the show so you don't miss forthcoming episodes. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. HEQ&A is produced at the University of Massachusetts Lowell. Our producer is Jennifer Berkshire, and our theme music is by Ryan Shaw. I'm Jack Schneider. Thanks for joining us.